Well, welcome everybody to episode 10 of Moscow Mules and Knob Slides podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Kyle, and we have a guest co-host this week. Hello, everybody. This is Dina again. Yes, Dina is back. David is again out enjoying life uh, with his family. So Dina is filling in. But we have a great guest of the week. Uh, Eric, how you doing? Pretty good, guys. How are you? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Um, for those listening for the first time, uh, again, as you'll hear on other podcasts, if you have listened to other ones, I can't assume that you've listened to everyone. So just to give a little scoop of what Moscow Mules and Slides is, is a podcast where it brings security professionals together. We talk about you know them, you know what they've done, maybe their paths into cybersecurity, what they're working on, interesting things to them. And then we talk about drinks. Uh, we usually talk about drinks first, and then we get into uh, you know topics of choice. So Eric's a local Pittsburgh uh, individual. Um, we've crossed paths. I don't know how we've crossed paths. Maybe just on Twitterverse and Slack, and, and maybe yeah, after sure. one of those channels, you know, maybe you even cross somebody B sides or something. Yeah, yeah, that's probably it. Yeah, it's all the check D, all the above. Yeah. So as our uh, guest of the week, we like to kick it over to you, and you know, what are you drinking on this fine, fine evening? So tonight I'm drinking a little scotch. Um, I prefer a nice single malt scotch. This one is uh, a name that I'm not really able to pronounce, but I like it anyway. Um, I actually got this from a, um, a webinar that I was uh, signed up for and they gave some scotch taste uh, tasting after that. So they sent me three full bottles of scotch to taste for completely free. This um, webinar was, sounds great. Yeah, a <laughs> webinar that sends you, just for going to the webinar, they sent you scotch. Yeah, exactly. It was um, it was definitely a spam attempt, you know, a marketing spam attempt to get my attention, and they did because yeah. it has to do with scotch at the end. Um, the name of the scotch is Glen Meringue. I'm not going to spell it for you. You can you get the gist of that one. Yeah, I'll get it from you. We'll put it in the show notes afterwards. <laughs> so, uh, what's is this a someone who's also tried scotch a couple times and really can't get on board with it yet? Is this like a PD? Is this a smoky one? Is this a combination of both? Talk us through like what you like enjoy about this and maybe scotch in general. Yeah, let's do a real in-depth uh, palate tasting of the scotch. First, I'm going to yeah. drink this scotch. <laughs> ah, that's a good scotch. Yeah, that's definitely a PD scotch. I like to put a little ice in mine. I like a chilled scotch. Um, but yeah, definitely on the PD side for sure. Yeah, I just can't get on the... Uh... It tastes like moss, like a rainforest. <laughs> well, remember that time you didn't like beer? Yeah, there was also a time where I was like, <laughs> IPAs, who would drink those? That's the weirdest thing in the world. Ugh. So is, is this one of the only scotches you drink or you just, you like all different types? Is scotch uh, your go-to? Yeah, I like a lot of different types of scotch. Um, most recently, I had a couple bottles of Johnny Walker, and they had some adaptations that were Game of Thrones, and they were also on sale. So it was payday. I went to the liquor store. I saw Game of Thrones. I saw Scotch combined. They were on sale, and and that was it. I just bought a whole bunch of bottles. I bought that one, the White Walkers one, where it changes colors and you put it in the freezer or fridge. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I still have it because I was like, it's good. Should I try it? Should I open it? Not no, today. you should 
Yeah, you should give it to me if you still have that bottle. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, I, I might as well at this point because I think I've had it for uh, how long have I had it? I don't know. A while. Mm -hmm. yeah. I will say I am so Eric and I do know each other by way of B sides planning, and I will say I am always impressed by our banter on our B-Side Slack channel between a couple of us because I have learned more about drinks in that little Slack group than I have from anybody else. You're not saying that I, I force you to drink. You're not saying that. Yeah. I'm just saying it's great discussion. There you go. <laughs> I think we did talk about tequila at one point, right? Tequila we did. We've gone through, I feel like, discussing scotch, tequila, beer and smoking meats that's like the primary function of that of our slack channel so that's the entire interview that's all you need to know about me that's Correct. it Scott, great having you until next time no, okay. it's that's been real <laughs> um have you tried japanese whiskey aka like it's basically scotch as well yeah people keep telling me to try it um i haven't really gotten around to do it i have no excuses uh they say it's really good i should i should just go buy a bottle you know, after this yeah. conversation. Yeah. I brought a bottle home from Tokyo. I can give you the name of that after the podcast is over because I can't recall it at the moment, but you'll probably like it. Yeah, send that over. I'll definitely give it a shot. Yeah, well, I'll send it over. Yeah, you can send it over. You, you, you know Eric better than I do. I do. That's well, uh, yeah. So what are you drinking, Dina, this fine, fine evening? So I am drinking wine again, which I realize is super boring. Um, from the last time that I was on the podcast, I believe I drank wine, then tequila, and now I'm back at wine. And right now I am drinking Sea Life from Camus Vineyards. And a small story about that is when Kyle and I got married, his uncle gifted us a really great bottle of Camus, and I had never had it prior to him giving it to us. So I've been trying out different types of wine from that vineyard and I settled on this bottle of Pinot Noir and it's quite tasty. So I opened this bottle last night and I obviously cannot let it go to waste. So here we are drinking that in my tumbler glass, which also says best fucking wife ever because Kyle got it for me for my birthday. I That's like that true, the strategy true. is not to let the wine go to waste. As soon you as you open that bottle and the air gets in there, you can't let that air stay in there, right? You have to drink the bottle of it's wine. It's a sin, otherwise. Yeah, I mean. It's a sin. <laughs> to leave it go. I mean, I've done stuff for, like, I've used nice bottles of wine for, like, sangria or, uh, like. That was in the middle of COVID when we couldn't go out and buy anything. We had to resort to using nice wine to make sangria. I had a hankering for sangria. It had to happen. Kyle, what are you drinking? Yeah, what am I drinking? Uh, per usual, I wrapped my beer in aluminum foil again to keep it cold. Um, I'm obviously continuing down my love of Evergreen Brewing Company, which is obviously a Pittsburgh uh, company, and they're based in Camp Hill, PA, which I don't know where that is, but... Do you know where that is, Eric? Central PA. That's closer to Harrisburg. Is it? There we go. I mean, I have to hit that up sometime. I don't know. They've... They, this uh, beer distributor right down the road has like a plethora of their stuff. And like, I didn't even know this was there. I actually got this one because I liked the, the can. And then I like, once I started looking, at, I was like, oh, that's Evergreen. That's probably pretty good. But this one's called, it's a double IPA from them called Bingo Pajamas. 
That's right. Bingo pajamas. Um, it says it pours a hazy blonde with a uh, slightly dry and adequately bitter taste with a bunch of different hops that uh, with hints of mango and tangerine and a ripe kiwi. Hmm. Not just a regular kiwi, a ripe kiwi. And uh, Eric, as you probably maybe caught some of our previous podcasts, uh, David got into the beer glass world and I have since then and because of some of the topics and, and just because this is sort of a perfect timing as you know, we go in and out of the state of lockdown. This is a, a glass um, from uh, Other Worlds Brewing and it's Harambi versus COVID. So it has Harambi like up in the clouds with like an oh. angel attacking a, what is a coronavirus type thing. I think it's, you know. For the listeners that aren't sure who Harambi is, it's a very large gorilla. Very large gorilla. That unfortunately is no longer with us and is an angel up above. Up above, hopefully <laughs> battling all the bads out there. It even has some bananas as well as Harambi with a halo battling a battling the coronavirus. Yeah, battling the coronavirus. Love that. So this was one of those saw it in one of the beer groups. I just made an awful pour. And I was like, I need that glass. Um, but yeah, I've already had this beer, I think, earlier this week, but it, I felt like, given the name and it's tasty as all can be, I had to have it again tonight. It sounds delicious. It is. It is. You realize this is one of those podcasts. Yeah, what is that again? Uh, <laughs> ASMR. I feel like you guys are very good at it. You <laughs> <laughs> need the sound effect. So, Eric, you know, I th I think it's always sounded kind of good to hear parts of people's journey. So, like, are you Pittsburgh? How'd you get into cybersecurity? Highlight. You can be obviously as generic or as explicit as, as you want. Um, but like, what are you doing these days? And like, maybe what was you know uh, what was your journey like into the field? Yeah, so um, I grew up in Pittsburgh, been living in Pittsburgh, lived outside of the Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh area, kind of east of the city. Um, always loved the city. Don't plan on going anywhere unless somebody gives me a massive paycheck to move someplace else. Um, I started in just technology IT, went to, you know, like BTI tech school, did that whole thing, went on to get my bachelor's, you know, all the fun stuff in education. And then started working for a, uh, a civil engineering company uh, as a as an intern, and then you know worked my way through the ranks to become um, manager of the IT department. So it was gradual steps. Um, dealt with a lot of the infrastructure and security side of things. Um, didn't really touch any kind of development or programming. Uh, we had a whole other department for that. And then recently, um, I got technically acquired by uh, someone else you might know, um, John Ziola with his company and Joe Wynn with his company uh, CISO LLC. So I started there on Monday and oh. since then I've been absorbing a lot of the, um, the processes and procedures and serving as a, a manager there now as well. So uh, head first, but it's been a lot of fun so far, even only four days in. Well, congratulations. Yeah, that's this has been a pretty big week in InfoSec for you to be changing jobs. So I'm sure that you're drinking from the fire hose a little bit. How does, so, but things are going well, that's good. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's a that's a good phrase to use. Drinking from the fire hose. I also would like to use uh, "thrown to the wolves." Um, <laughs> yeah, there's probably many other phrases we could put on that one, but it's been it's been good so far. I'm really enjoying it. So, so your company was acquired by John's company. No, technically, I was just the one acquired. Um, mm -hmm. He reached okay. out to me and, and asked me if I was interested, uh, and we started talking, and then one thing led to another, and now I work for them. That's great. Yeah, nice. Your people are your best assets, so. Yeah, they are. I mean, as we've talked about on numerous other podcasts, it's all about the network, right? Like, and the fact that, like, I think all of us appreciate, and, uh, you know, as you get into your later on in your career, is like, you don't want to interview for a job. You want someone like that situation to reach out and it kind of just works. You have a conversation. If it seems like it's going to work, then boom, it's not, you know, it's not that stressful, like five week process with recruiters and HR and all the other stuff. And you're like, then, you know, think you're your number one candidate. And in the last minute, you know, you're not. And then you wasted like five weeks of your life. Not speaking yeah. from experience sounds, or anything. You know, just, that sounds a little it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like you have that experience at some point. Yeah, maybe, you know, either here nor there, plead the fifth might be the way to say it, but uh, that's that's pretty. So, like, yeah, I mean, coming from the IT side and infrastructure side, I know we were kind of talking topics to throw around. So, like, all these walls that have come out this week, that had been a little interesting time to not only be starting a job and dealing with, like, the DNS wall. Was the Windows one this week or last week? I think that was this week. This What's week. it? It's it's it has a um well as That's a Windows DNS ball, right? Like I'm it's old, but into as a a vulnerability purist, when I see a bunch of marketing around a vulnerability, I tend to it both perks up my ears and also upsets me deeply. So uh, your first week you had dealt with the big DNS ball that is out of Microsoft. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it, what your experience is like? Yeah, um, well, actually, a lot of the things that I've been doing this week haven't really uh, dove too much into that, but we were able to, you know, at least put together a couple of things and, and help out some people right away. So um, overall, the DNS phone just popping up and being something that has been technically around for a while, it's just that no one has really looked at it in that light that they have now. Um, but Microsoft is also saying that it's not actively being exploited. No, I probably would look at that and say, mm, maybe we'll take it a, a step back, another look at really what's going on there to see what the impact is. I mean, what do you guys think about how, um, how the press releases have come out and, and how you've got, you guys have been responding in your own professional manner to this vulnerability? So I'm on the product side of the house, and luckily none of our products embed um, Microsoft Windows DNS server. So from my perspective, knock on wood, we were we were good. But I will tell you, as soon as it came out, we initiated our product uh, product security incident response process to try and make that determination of whether we were impacted or not. Whenever I see anything that is a wormable, it immediately not only gets my blood pressure uh, pumping, but it also comes across the news for some of our C-suite. So we always wanna make sure that we're in a position that we can answer those types of questions from them. But what I will tell you, I thought that there's active proof of concept code out there already for it, which isn't surprising at all, considering the type of vulnerability and the impacts of that vulnerability. 
Yeah, I just saw that on GitHub a few hours ago. So it's getting out there. Yeah, it is. What about you, Kyle? I can't talk to any of that. Like, I just don't track that in my role I'm in. It's not something that hits my plate besides, like, I pay attention to what comes out, you know, high level. And, you know, I envy you all that we get to, like, do the quote, fun and exciting, you know, hot topics. I know it's a, it's a distraction at times, but coming from the, the research side of things, it's sometimes a little slow. And so I'm more in the malware, always in the malware, in the malware. That's all I, so like if it, if it comes out and like someone builds this in kind of like what they did with the eternal blue with want to cry, I would definitely be interested to look at that. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Right. But the fact that it's wormable, I wouldn't be surprised if we see someone try to like pack it inside of like an executable that's like, you know, does that, you know, type of whatever it's going to do. Remote code so in terms of malware, uh, in terms of malware, have you read M is for malware? And is that a good reference for um, analyzing and reverse engineering malware? I have not, but I've seen that's a great, isn't it a kid's book? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but I've seen parts of it. I mean, it's great. There's a, there's actually new, we talked about this on the last podcast with Brandon is that there's actually a new, uh, reverse engineering book coming out that hasn't been one in quite a while. It's been hitting, it hit home as well as like the, you know, old school, uh, malware analysis from no starch book, but this one is coming out and it kind of incorporates malware analysis and like uh, detection engineering. It's coming out in, uh, uh, November I saw on, um, Amazon. So it'll be an interesting one. So Eric, are you reading Emma's for Malware to your children? I haven't bought it. I should buy it. I definitely should. So I'm not endorsing it tonight, but I need to buy it, read it, make sure it's accurate before I let my kids read it because my son can read now. So if he reads it and he gets uh, misinformation, I won't be happy. What about go the F to sleep? Do you read that to your children? <laughs> It's a Sam Jackson one, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't read that one, though. No. We read a lot of Cars. We, we read a lot of um, Pete the Cat. I don't know if you're familiar with Pete the Cat. Um, Pete, yeah, not familiar with Pete the Cat. Yeah, look it up. Look it up and make your own assumptions as to what the illustrator was trying to portray there. But, um, yeah, a lot of Pete the Cat. A lot of Pete the Cat. So why don't you tell us, so you just started a new role. Tell us a little bit about your new company and the role that you have just taken over. Yeah, so um, the company, the company CISO LLC, um, Dina, you're familiar with, uh, with Joe and John. Um, and my role there is to oversee and manage the, uh, the red team, blue team, and, and AppSec teams. Um, it is a, a consultancy style company. So um, we'll have a lot of engagements with the clients. We'll make a lot of recommendations. We'll help them out as, in any way, shape, or form that we are able to in our expertise. And uh, it's very fast-paced. Um, everybody on my team, everybody I work with is super intelligent. They definitely know um, a lot of this business in and out. And uh, it, it helps me as a manager to have that kind of team uh, available so that I, I can rely on them. They can rely on me because I'm also on the technical side and uh, it's, it's just been great so far. I mean, I'm only four days in, but um, you know, I've been excited about uh, joining the team for, for a couple of weeks now. And, and I was really, really excited to get started on Monday and just kind of hit the ground running. But um, yeah, that's it in a nutshell. So like, and then that same note, 
you know, when you hit that point in your career and it kind of obviously blends into, you know, your current role now, when did you say, yeah, I, like, I want to go into managerial, but still stay on the technical side of stuff, but like, I want to be a manager. And was it kind of like a force type of thing? Like there was no more ability unless you jumped. You know, I'm just thinking my back experiences back at NSA, like you, you got to a certain point and you're like, yeah, you have to be a manager or you can be a technical director, but there was only like very few of those. So it's like you were forced at a certain level to like pick that fork in the road. There's also, you know, that you could want to be a manager as well, right? Right. Uh, well, that's what I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, to, I mean, to answer the question, um, I've always kind of assumed that I was going to be in some sort of managerial role uh, growing up. I didn't really know exactly what it was, um, but my dad had his own business and my mom was like a supervisor of certain things in, in the insurance company she worked for. So I kind of always had that idea that I was, I was going to manage something. I just didn't know what it was. Um, so I started down the path of, um, you know, going to school for business, whatever, whatever they would call it at that point in time and uh, kind of lost funding for it. So I switched over to tech because I was good with computers. Um, and that was really it. I mean, working in tech and then opportunities presented themselves and, and you have to take a step back and say, am I going to take that opportunity or am I going to let it go by? You take it, see how it goes, seem to fit. Companies uh, believe that I'm a good manager in some aspects and, and maybe need some help in others, which is always good for development. But um, I enjoy it. I really enjoy it. I, I like working with people. That's a lot um, about what my own podcast is about is the people. And uh, it, it just fits. I really like it. Yeah, I mean, that makes it a lot easier. I think all we can all attest to like, having a good team in and around you makes it not almost work. I mean, you're busy, but maybe it makes your job a little more exciting at least. I also think sometimes in tech, it's you're technical or you're a manager. And I think that you're a perfect example of somebody that can be both technical and a manager. And I think at least within our field, having that and operand is super important. Um, and I think that I'm super happy to hear that this is what you've dreamt about. So Eric, you have your own podcast. Let's talk about it. I love the name. I think it's perfect. So tell us more about what your podcast is about and all of that stuff. Sure. Yeah. So uh, recently uh, started a podcast called Red Up Security. Red Up, like the Pittsburghese word, Red Up, because it's all about Pittsburghers. It's all about everything that's going on in the Berg and around the Berg. So uh, my initial premise was, um, you know, kind of give some news in the area, talk about maybe some B-side stuff that's going on or talk about some other events. And then I thought, uh, let's talk about the people because the people are really what make all of this thing really work so well. So I uh, started that a few months ago, um, recorded the first episode, and that is out on Podbean uh, under Red Up Security. And we also have a, a Twitter, which is at Red Up Security. And you can, uh, you can also email at redupsec at gmail.com. You just dropped your first episode yesterday, today? uh last week yeah last week so yeah usually when you hear this it'll be a couple weeks out uh but good so what's your what's your plan of actually like we try to do you know i'm I'm asking for tips and techniques from other podcasts so like i'm trying to like you're like your episode will air a week from now so we're always like 
a week out, right? You know, that way, like filming this, dropped one today, kind of uh, aspect of it. Like, what's your sort of plan of action? Um, my plan of action is a little bit more dynamic. I'd say since I just got the first episode down, I spent a lot of time like trying to put the music together, trying to put the intros together. Um, remembering how to use GarageBand was a huge thing for me. And, um, you know, doing the splicing and when my kids would yell in the background that I could, I could filter that kind of stuff out. So that one took a little bit longer, but my, my uh, new plan is going to be, I'm going to have an interview. Um, I'm going to record some general news of just me talking about technical stuff because people still like to hear about that. And then um, hopefully release within two to three days of, of the interview and just kind of churn it once a month, always have uh, someone that I'm focusing on the interview and that's going to be the big part of it. And then some, you know, some technical news on, on the side of that. So. Yeah, definitely a lot more involved. Hopefully this podcast will evolve into that. You know, I put a lot of work into it, but yeah, for me, it was like relearning iMovie because I obviously take this video and put it in. That's why I like doing the video. Cause like, I can see where things are going on. Like where I freak out and throw my hands up. I know like I got to edit there. Right. But for me, it's a lot easier. That's what I was doing with the iMovie is like splicing, deleting, like, does it need to be faded in? Like, how do I do that? And it's pretty, it's probably pretty rough still, but I, I'm getting better at it. You know, you can find those spots where like it easily transitions well, or if you have to fade one in and fade out, you can, you know, given how someone's voice is and things like that. Yeah. It takes a lot more effort than I thought it was going to initially take. So Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But for the two hackers that we have here, I'm sure both of you are great at figuring out how all of the things work. Yeah, hack. What she means by hacking is Apple T, Apple C. Right. Apple <laughs> That's it's what I'm hacking on the audio. I'm just, you know, clipping and copying and pasting. Right. Yeah. That's, what, that's exactly what I'm doing too. Marker. How do I delete the, And it's like, how do I delete the marker? I go up in the menu. Oh, yeah, that's the shortcut. Right. Google search this. Google search. Yeah, exactly. So it also sounds like, Eric, that B-Sides has been a pretty big influence on you. So how long have you been a B-Sides, um, how long have you been a B-Sides, oh gosh. Organizer? Thank you, organizer. Organizer, well, this would, this would actually have been my second year organizing. Yeah. Um, second year of volunteering and uh, maybe sixth year attending. There are some... Sometimes that I didn't go, but my first one was back in Point Park, nice. and that's where I met John, um, and then I was going to most of them after that. All right, so when they, when they started at the casino, I thought it was like growing so exponentially that I just had to get involved. So I did one year there volunteering, and then um, like immediately just stopped John in the middle of the thing and said, when you do this next year, add me as an organizer because I want to be involved. And um, yeah, we did the we did 2019 at the casino with me as an organizer, and I got to see all the ins and outs. Um, I did a lot more with social media and just helping out where I could, you know, just to learn things that were going on. And then we got to the 2020 planning, and uh, Dina joined us, and a few other people joined us as well. And uh, we had some really good things in store. I don't want to reveal what we have in store. Nope. For the 10th year but we've got some amazing things in store uh for the 10th anniversary and hopefully hopefully it's 2021 
Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, I as we've talked about on other podcasts, like I'm missing like I didn't think I was gonna miss like seeing people and getting together. Like, you know, I went from an extrovert to like an introvert. So like I'm somewhere in the between now. But like I think today Brandon and I were talking like, man, I'm gonna miss like like just the conferences because we're getting close to like Vegas. And that's one of the ones I always try to get out to is try to hit DEF CON and B sides Las Vegas every year, you know. Your local information security conference is so important though. I love seeing everybody and that's how I kind of also got involved in B-Sides and then obviously met you, Eric. We do have some really cool stuff planned um, and I'm really excited for 2021. I really hope that it happens. Uh, But I cannot stress that enough that your local information security conference, the B-Sides across the United States are just so important. Um, just to get to meet everybody and then to your to your podcast Eric I mean there are so many things that are going on in Pittsburgh that relate to information security as well so it's just such a nice place to be yeah we're we're definitely lucky to be in a great area that has this much tech involved and a lot of people that want to grow like the local communities and things like that so aside you're super busy obviously new job planning b-sides what else do you like to do for fun or you know for pleasure in terms of infosec stuff are there any side projects that you're working on uh side projects and infosec um not really any right now you know trying to focus on just getting up to speed with the new job um i'm always trying to learn something um but really just trying to keep my head above water uh, with all, everything going on in COVID and, and changing jobs and everything. So um, just really, you know, keeping busy that way. Uh, one thing that is not an InfoSec related, but maybe some data science related stuff is um, recently I started to do whiteboarding sessions for the, the COVID-19 data tracking um, with the data all over the place. It made it a little difficult, but um, I was able to, try and figure out like when the next big spike was going to be. Uh, and I was pretty close. So I don't know if any of it's accurate. It's probably just all BS, but I was pretty close and I was off by a couple of days to uh, somewhat predict when the next big spike was going to be. So take us into, cause like as we we're spitballing what like things to talk about, you, you mentioned this and I was like, I don't, I think I know what he means, but I don't know what he means. So like, Talk well, us through the process, like, you know, you don't you get as deep as you want or as high level as you want, but like, I'm just, I'm curious to how you did it and what you, what are some of the data sets you use and, you know, what, what do you think maybe uh, influence or not influence, like to you almost getting like the exact predictable, like predictable spike, like that was going to happen next. So let, let's go back to when, um, when I decided to do this thing. Yeah. Uh, we were all sitting around the dinner table eating dinner and, uh, you know, just kind of chatting amongst ourselves. My wife has her own. She uses a, a paper tablet instead of digital. So she writes down what the day's um, number of cases are. And then she goes back and she looks at them and, you know, writes them down every day. And, and I said, you know what, we're going to do a whiteboarding session. She goes, what? What are you trying to say to me right now? So I got my little whiteboard went out and in, into the, uh, the kitchen where we're eating dinner. And I'm like, okay, look, if we start at this date, and then it's estimated that within two weeks, you should actually know if you have COVID and you might get a test. It might take three to five days to get the result or 10 days to get the result. This is today. This is next week. This is three weeks from now. 
we should see the next big spike based on things that are going on, like, you know, protests, social things, uh, opening up in Pennsylvania, turning green. We should see the next spike by this day. And she's like, you're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. So, okay, well, let's see what happens. Um, and then the two weeks went by, we, we turned green, we had, you know, the protests and everything going on and uh, hit the day that I thought it was gonna be and it didn't spike. Waited a couple of days and then it did spike and I said, see, I told you I was within this standard deviation of the actual time. And she's like, no, you're wrong, you're wrong. You didn't hit that date. I'm like, ah, whatever. So impromptu whiteboarding sessions are becoming a, a common theme in the, in the Eric household for COVID, so. I love that. I mean, that's, that's interesting. Cause like, I mean, we all like, you know, those that have paid attention to it enough, definitely like probably were like trying to crunch numbers on our head. And like, we all said like once P, like once like Allegheny County around Pittsburgh and the surrounding ones like went green, everybody was going to go out and be like excited to be out and want to be out and go out again. Cause like, you know, the same thing we were thinking, right. But you're like, man, if people don't follow like, even if you believe it or not, if they don't follow the rules, it's going to be like a one person ruins it for everyone situation. And that's exactly what we're finding out now, which is what about three weeks, a month after we've gone full green, we're back down again, you know? So what's your next prediction? Actually, let's go back. Did you predict like what's occurred over the last, like, you know, let's just say month from the time we opened up to like basically a semi closed down again? No, I peaked at that point. As soon as I got my first data point, was, <laughs> you're stopped. like, data scientist, I'm out. Mic drop. Well, pretty much. I, I got to a point, though, where it was more so data fatigue because you would see numbers from this area that were different from that area that were different from, you know, the CDC. And now we have different tracking for CDC-related numbers. It's so all over the place. It's You can't keep up with it, you know. So... Yeah, it's definitely in the whiteboarding sessions. Now I just, um, now I just take a nap in the middle of the day and, and call. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell your boss. <laughs> well, I think it's lovely. I love hearing when like husband and wives work together towards a problem, mostly because I'm biased and Kyle and I are in the same field, but I love that she writes things down and that you do the data analysis together in order um, to do this sort of prediction. So how do you think, and for COVID stuff, have you seen a lot of impacts on our industry? And like, where do you think we're gonna go? Do you think we're gonna still all be working from home or going back into the office? What do you think? That's a, that's a good thought process. Um, I think that it's had both good and bad impacts mm -hmm. on any industry, but our industry especially. The good side of it is everybody needs to rely on technology a lot more. You know, perhaps we would be having this conversation at your place or my place rather than over Zoom and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But overall, um, it's, it's created a lot of jobs for tech, but then it's also furloughed a lot of jobs for a lot of other people. So it has some positive effects on our industry. It also has negative effects on the industry. And just overall, um, people are going to remember this. It's not going to be something that in a year or two they forget about and they don't say that, um, you know, this thing didn't happen in 2020. It's going to impact people's lives for a very long time. 
So, um, I mean, in terms of tech and cyber and infosec and everything that goes on there, I feel like it's put a, a spin on it that um, is more um, awakening. You know, people are thinking about security a little bit more than they were before, and that's good for us. Um, but it, it changes a lot. It changes a mindset in general. And I think that's difficult for a lot of people. Yeah, and that's that's, some, that's, that's something I talked about. Uh, and it's actually an interesting segue to kind of touch upon is like how cyber itself kind of switching gears from uh, what you, we're talking about COVID, but switching gears to like the impact that cyber is having on people. And now that it's not just the us that understand it, like the everyday people is getting the, is seeing the effects of like what cyber is. I know we can go back to the iCloud hacks of, you know, celebrities and having their personal information stolen from, you know, you know, a few years back, you know, five or so years, whatever that was to like, you know, the election information. But like, as in yesterday, as Dina and I were talking and Dina actually brought it up to me as a topic to talk about some undergrad students today was like the Twitter hack and how impactful like that is on, not cyber people like you know what i mean it's not just like everyday people it's not just us you know i'm using that in quotes like the cyber folks or information folks that get, get what two-factor authentication is we all probably have to lock down as many things as we can but now like the everyday people are starting to think about i don't know what two-factor is maybe i need to look into that and start doing that and you can see how the twitter i mean the twitter hack has really brought that like really to the surface right like the social media thing right yeah, we all like to think that news doesn't give a, a positive spin on a lot of things. You know, it'll it'll report something that is usually negative in a in a sense that it's more of a I don't know quote unquote scare tactic. You know, to get people to think about things. But the media has definitely allowed um, people in our industry to um, make things a little bit easier. You know, if if the news reports on something like two factor authentication or multi factor authentication. And then your boss, who would never touch MFA in any sense, comes down to you and says, I really want to turn on MFA because I saw it on the news. You go, oh, great. You know, that makes it a little bit easier. Sometimes there's misinformation, but the media is pulling a lot of experts in now. You know, you'll see a lot of experts come in now from social engineering, like the, uh, the piece that they did with Rachel uh, Tobek a couple years ago or last year with the DEF CON thing with social engineering. It was a good piece. It was a good interview. And then people start thinking about what social engineering is. So yeah, there is a, there is a silver lining to all that. But overall, I think that, um, that the news is doing a better job than they did in, in previous lights for cybersecurity. It is really interesting, at least with the Twitter stuff. It really shows, I think, the fragility of some of the things that we don't even realize that we rely upon. The information security community is so involved on Twitter that maybe it's normal for us to see that banter, but when something happens, it really affects like your grandma or like whomever else that are like, oh, did you see that Elon Musk is going to give me some Bitcoin? This is the first time I've heard about Bitcoin, right? Um, I think it's just an interesting time right now where while we're kind of in the weeds, it's really impacting everybody else. And I think we've been talking about that over the last couple years. Um, but yesterday, I think, really showed the world that uh, how, how much we use Twitter like for our news or like things like that as well, which is inter it's interesting. I'm interested to see like what the fallout's going to be for it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, 
like topics like that and like in the same sense that you know the digital privacy thinking like what's your what's your digital footprint and like what you have exposed on the internet and like obviously your level of risk comes into play your level of risk averseness mm -hmm. is a risk averseness a word i don't know if it is it's now <laughs> after yeah, a drink or two it is <laughs> yeah it is now but like you know you know you, you, you see you know if you're on instagram you see a lot of instagram people that you might follow like getting tiktok accounts because they're like you know the social influencers you're like you're obviously not thinking of the implications of who's getting your data by signing up for these things you're just trying to like influence your fans at which you have right but like they were fine with you before tiktok you know why do you gotta get tiktok now and or just you know in general like you know david our other co-host is he like doesn't like to have anything on the internet about himself, but like there's a lot of freely available information that's out there. If you ever just, you know, you know, dossier yourself as Brandon would say last week, right? Like what you can gather from information out there on yourself. See, I don't know about you, but nobody knows who I am. So I have to download TikTok <laughs> and get the word out there. Uh, but maybe Britney Spears doesn't need TikTok. Right. Agreed. Hashtag free Britney. Yeah. <laughs> she definitely does not need TikTok. you're right you know but like and probably more a lot of people don't need it but that's you know that's the blow-up factor in social media find something that you know your average teenager is gonna like and you don't have to work anymore that's at least my mindset with it right they can snapchat right and vine and all the other ones before it i think the problem with social media especially twitter is somebody puts something out that says twitter was hacked Okay, what does that mean? Yep. Oh, they were social engineered mm -hmm. on the back end. It wasn't that Twitter's platform or Twitter's front end or Twitter's tech is bad, that somebody got into there. It was that, um, yeah, somebody was social engineered. Yeah. And isn't that amazing, though? I mean, how much people think, like, I guess people think that things are really complicated when, in fact, they are very simple. And I, my heart actually goes out to the Twitter folks that are doing the incident response because millions of people are watching them. When we're doing incident response, you have your C-suite watching you, which is already stressful, let alone having an entire audience of the world watching you do this. I, I commend them on, on this for sure. It's definitely an interesting time. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. Internal response as a whole is a lot of pressure. I, mean, I don't know if, you know, you had a chance to do that through your time, uh, you know, but I know I did and I wanted to do it. I left the government to do it and realized four months in of an 11 month job that I did not want to do it anymore. There's nothing worse. Now, those that love digital forensics and response out there, you know, I'm not hating on anybody, but like the fact that like all incidents tend to come in like late afternoon. So like your next, your night's done, your early, you know, your next day's done. Right. But I always found it always came in around around 1 PM on a Friday. Right. So then your weekend's done. Right. And, you know, and that's a, that's a bad perception coming from the government life in, in the intelligence community where you only worked 40 hours a week, right? You know, where everybody else in the world outside of government works more than 40 hours a week. But um, Talk about it ruining your day, even from a P-cert perspective. We get great vols in to our P-cert at 5 p.m. on a Friday. You know, that's just the life. You just have to 
if that's what you like, that's what you like, you know. Yeah. Obviously, it wasn't a good fit for you, but yeah, it wasn't, and that's okay. Who schedules so it anyway? I mean, you go an entire week, like Monday through Friday. You go through a nice lunch. You know, it's kind of quiet. <laughs> thirty, three thirty. Oh wait, I'm gonna drop this phone right now. Right on Friday. I get, I stay up at night. The biggest thing that keeps me up at night is being in that situation where somebody is going full disclosure on a vulnerability that deals, that has to do with my company. And like, oh gosh, I could have nightmares about this kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, I remember the incident response days. It was like, we'd, we'd get a call about a client that need our help doing an investigation. And it was literally like, we would get the hard drives. And when you copy a hard drive, we do like, you know, the, forensically sound bit for bit copy right that takes like a couple hours and like i would have my boss like coming over to me like hard drives copy yet and i'd be like listen you knew when they came in you knew when i plugged them in because i told you you knew it was going to take x amount of hours to do based on like that's what a one terabyte two terabyte drive always takes to copy obviously it's going to copy faster there's less data but we'll assume like the hard drives are very similar and so it's like, you know, they always wanted the answers before you even had the data. And you're like, I don't have a chance to like put this into the like tools to then parse the OS. And it gives us like, it was just one of those things I've always been asked the questions before you even had the chance to look at the data. It's like, oh my God, you know, give That's me a minute. Having a technical manager such as myself, because I know that, I know that it takes time, but I know that you also have all these other steps you have to do to catalog and document and figure out. And then, you know, if you're doing a image, a bit by bit level image of a hard drive and like your USB cable fails, that just added another two hours because you have to go get another USB cable. You know, there's all these, all these intricacies that really come into play. So I think about those things, uh, but then I also have C-suite looking at me saying, when is this stuff going to be done? So. Right. But at least you can make the argument and you know what it's like, which is the most important thing. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think and that, and that says a lot. So like, what do you, I, I know it's just, it's, you're only in your first week, but like you said, you're doing, you're managing three different teams of like three different skill sets, like that your app stack, your red team and your blue team, you know, where do you see like, uh, where am I going with this? Like, where do you see you making like a, uh, like where do you see the challenge points in that? Because like the, those teams operate very differently, right? Like I feel like, you know, red team and blue team, they'll go coincide, like, operate on different, like even timelines even. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest challenge, um, being manager of multiple types of teams because their their thought process is, is gonna be a little bit different. Um, their workflow is gonna be a little bit different. And I think it's just beneficial to, to be in those spaces already. You know, I did a lot of blue team and red team kind of stuff in my in my previous company. So I have those mindsets already of both sides. Um, and then like my biggest my biggest um, fault is going to be like on the AppSec side because I, ha I don't have any experience really doing AppSec assessments um, or application related assessments. So for me, I'm just going to look at that and I'm going to say, you know, I'm kind of comfortable with this. I'm definitely comfortable with this. I'm not comfortable with that, but I need to learn that. And I need to rely on my people to help me understand what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So that A, I'm not, you know, prohibiting them from doing anything, slowing them down because they're the talent, really. And then B, 
just really learning what they can do so that I can hopefully assist them and understand that process. Like you're talking about the, you know, the C-suite or your manager coming down and saying, is this our drive done, right? Well, I need to understand that a little bit more, not so I can do you do your job for you, but so that I can, you know, help the process and not be a, uh, a disruptor to your process so you can get the work done. Yeah, I mean, as someone that has never been in a managerial position, so hopefully I'm not speaking out of place, but it sounds just like uh, Jocko Willick wrote a book um, about leadership and talk about managing up. Like, you always have to manage up, right? And, like, and you know, I wish I would have read this book. It probably didn't exist early on in my career, but, like, it's a great book to read in the sense that, like, how do you tell the C-suite to, like, slow the roll? We're working on it. Like, you have to understand, like, you know, like you said, talent takes time, you know, bits copy as fast as I do, right? Like, and, and manage it up to those. I'm like, you'll get your answers, like, but asking me every five minutes isn't going to speed up the process, right, either. Yeah, Jocko does a really good job of um, describing what a traditional military organization and how it works properly. He's very good at that. And he turns it into, um, you know, a leadership practice. So um, a lot of what I've learned over the years have been from, from family military. You know, I'm not military myself, um, but my father taught me that way and my grandfather taught me that way. So going into an organization, you can see the the mappings between like military organization and typical organization. So that definitely helps being able to, like you said, report up and say, listen, these guys are doing their job. I know they're doing their job and it's going to take a little bit longer than what's perceived or it's going to be done sooner, which is even better. Right. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And, that it, and I think that takes time to learn. I mean, you can read a book, it opened my mind up when I read it. Like I read it in January for the first time. Now I wish I would have read this book earlier, right? To understand the process. Cause you know, I think I've had managers that have failed me and had I knew how to properly probably manage up, it might've helped the situation or at least alleviated some of the stress of my situation. Have you ever heard of the manager's path? It's an O'Reilly book. I haven't read that one, no. Very good. So it's written by the woman, her name's Camille, who, I think was the CTO of Rent the Runway. And in the book, she talks about starting off as a manager and being a mentor and then getting your own team and like how to navigate in that. And then to Kyle's point, very importantly, how do you exert influence up and laterally? And sometimes it's not super easy coming from a tech background because for all of us, and in the sense that we are like information security purists, so to speak, it's kind of hard to speak like the business, you know, but it does give a lot of tips for how to do that um, lateral influence and then managing your manager. And it's a, it's a great resource. I just got done reading it. A friend of mine who also works within my company recommended it to me. And I can't recommend it enough. The manager's path if, any of our listeners are interested in taking that path for themselves? Yeah, and overall, um, you know, I, I will be a resource for anybody who wants it. I don't know if I have good advice, but I'll give some advice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, it says a lot, you know, to be a manager and want to be a manager, like you said, and saw your path into that. And like, you know, I think that you'd be a great mentor to people like that, that are like, Hey, I understand the skill set, but maybe me being in the weeds is not where it is. Maybe he's leading the team in the weeds. Right. And, and like, not that I'm 
dumbing down a manager's role, but I'm just trying to make it how I think about it, right? Because for for me, for a manager, like I I think the best manager is someone, and I think this this is a you know says uh, is you to the T, Eric, is that someone that's did the job, understands the job, and is now leading the team to do the job, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously, you said you you and it, but then you also say I understand my gaps I need to fill, and I'm going to work to you know fill those gaps, right? But there's nothing worse than having a manager that's never did the job that what you're doing. So now they don't understand the expectations of time to do your job. Did yeah, I say that? I like I that came out a little weird, but it's no, not I, a lot of time words. Yeah. But. I, I think that's a, a decent way of saying it. That's a very straight way of saying it is that um, a lot of managers who don't have the experience in what you're doing um, could be a problem only if they perceive that as something they don't care about, right? Mm -hmm if they feel like they need to learn about it to help you, you know, become more in your organization or whatever it is, then that's the positive. The negative is coming in and just saying, you know, this work has to be done and that's all I care about is results. You need to care about your team. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I mean, that's how people stay alone longer, right? That's how you don't lose. That's the, I think that plays into effective attrition rate, right? Keeping people around, you know, growing the team. And it sounds like that's what, you know, CISO is doing that, I remember last B-Sides, I helped John and um, escaped me, put up together a blue team class, and he invited me to the CISO offices up in, you know, near Wexford That's area. That's where it was. You did, the, you did the training, right? Yes. Yes. I stepped in for, is it Jason? I'm going to, yeah, I apologize, Jason, if you listen to this. Yeah, yeah but I stepped in uh, and helped John teach it, and, like, you know, seeing the offices and like he had a small team then and, and I knew people that were growing over there. So like the growing team and it says a lot and it says a lot for the organization, but it also says a lot for the people at the end of the day, the people that want to go there and the people want to work there and the growing of there. So in the pastries that we had outside of the training. I think I think the pastries really brought people to the training and then they Who kind does? Of, yeah. Food and coffee always bring people to training. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, and as I always say, in, in, in uh, respecting people's time, I mean, I think we've had some great conversations today, Eric, uh, and we're hitting that timeline. Um, but like, you know, the most important part, how can people reach out to you? What's the best avenue for them? Is it, is it Twitter? Is it LinkedIn? Both? Something else? You tell me. Yeah, I'm very, show notes. very active on uh, Twitter, at Eric Landmine. Uh, it's pretty easy to spell. And then I'm also very active on the, uh, the pit sets, PITSEC Slack, P-I-T-T-S-E-C Slack. Uh, if you're on there, you know, DM me. Uh, kind of got a funny profile picture, but you can at least see the mustache. Um, yeah. That's how you recognize me. Yeah, I'll make sure I include that Twitter in the show notes. And, you know, the first time someone's, you know, I think brought up uh, using the Pittsburgh Slack, so I'll make sure I'll include that in the show notes. That was, you know, uh, John Ziolo's uh project that it's actually blown up i mean i don't even know how many people are on it but it's great to have a place where it's the pittsburgh community and it's like i get a you know as we all probably have numerous slack channels that we bounce on that's one of three that i'm always on right so i can't keep up enough and you know i i commend the people that i do better at the discord slack text world than i do balancing all that i want i want a book i want someone to write a book how to balance <laughs> using multiple chat platforms at one time you have to get rid of all the chat platforms and just go back to AOL Instant Messenger. 
Thank you. Stop that. You know, one of my, um, so one of my coworkers and I are taking this training so we can post things to um, our website. Like you have to go through like the series of trainings. And uh, we are both laughing because we have to relearn HTML that we used extensively during our AOL in MySpace days. So we both feel as if we are very well suited for the job. But again, you have to like relearn all of that kind of stuff. But <laughs> So definitely check out Eric's uh, podcast, Right Up Security. Right? Did I say that correct? Right Up Security. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Eric, it's been a pleasure having you. I, I always like getting face-to-face, -face, even over Zoom, uh, to meet everybody and actually start to put Slack channel and Twitter handles to a face and a name and a conversation. So thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. Uh, and as we always like to say with our empty glasses until next time, stay thirsty, everybody. Stay thirsty.